Blog Talk Radio. to the Frontier Beyond Fear live broadcast and also on several syndicates. This show broadcasts live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Today we're going to talk about this notion of a free spirit. And by the way, today is July 2nd, 2022. What is a free spirit? And have we misunderstood and limited what this description actually means? Because the truth of the matter, my friends, is we are all free spirits. Every single one of us. No matter where you are, And welcome to those of you listening in multiple parts of the world. I am broadcasting from the United States. No matter who you are, you have a free spirit within. How can we perceive and treasure, truly come to value the greater and greater expression of the free spirits in each other. We do it a piece at a time. We have to start within. It's not always easy. It never becomes so easy. Because it has to do with authenticity. But how we enable this is through love. Omnipresent love. Which links every one of us together. We are inseparable from omnipresent love. And we are drawn towards omnipresent love. I have to tell you, coming into this program today, I had several different things that are providing impetus for this topic, which I knew I needed to speak about this morning. One of those was over the last, oh, I don't know, couple nights, two, three nights, I've been watching the movie A Star is Born, which is not... um, a light film by any means. And I only just finished it, and this is a remake with Judy Garland that was made, James Mason and Judy Garland are in this remake, and she actually had gone through a lot of very difficult things, um, and they they say before the film, she was even fired from her studio for being inconsistent. And in this movie... Um, James Mason plays a very famous actor who um, is, he falls into alcoholism for years and it destroys his life. And it's very, very tragic. But there is something in this movie that is really important. And by the way, Judy Garland, um, very famous star for those of you who are younger in my generation, you know, and I know there actually are many admirers of Judy Garland. So um, hopefully many of you are familiar with Judy Garland. But she had a very difficult life. And it didn't end with making this movie. 
Um, it was a challenging life that she had, despite you know what from you know the external view. And this comes up in the film itself about the 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 husband of the character that Judy plays. Um, you know, you had everything. You have all, you know, you how could you have squandered essentially having all these opportunities? And yet, of course, the character, um, the husband, he's in the grips of alcoholism and it's just taking his life away year by year. But there's that is not the point right here today what really got me because i had no idea if i would even mention this movie today or how it would lead into this topic today is at the end there was something and hopefully i'm not giving too much away if you haven't seen this movie and yes there have been multiple remakes of it um the um i guess it's the person who runs the studio where um, this actor whose life, um, you know, slipped away, and yes, it ends tragically. Um, someone is talking to the head of the studio and says, you know, basically just what a horrible person, you know, this guy was, this actor, and, you know, he never liked him. And, you know, earlier in the film, this character that's saying this even even strikes him, they get into a fight, and um, he hates this character supposedly has this hate or this real person within the film this this character in the in the story and the head of the studio says to him because this comes up because he said are you going to keep his sign there's a sign that visibly displays this person's name are you going to keep it up because of course you know his i mean just horrible there's a scene where like um, basically, the star that is born is his wife. Um, he he fosters her development, and she becomes a star in Hollywood while his star is declining. And yes, this film has been remade, and perhaps you've seen a version in the musical realm. I have not. Somehow, I know I saw this years ago, but it was the more um, it was the '70s version, a long, long time ago. And I've avoided this film just because sometimes, I don't know why, I just, you know, the tragedy of it, I have to really feel, I know, I know it's a tragedy, but I had to see this scene because what, and it actually it is a very good story. We shouldn't avoid tragedies. In fact, I'm going to quote from another tragedy in a little bit, a very classic one. The head of the studio says, you never knew him. That before, before this man, this character in the film, fell into a very difficult, which we now know when this film was made, it may not have been known that alcoholism is a disease. And it's a, you know, it's not something that people over overcome easily. Although on the spiritual path, I do feel there are paths to healing everything, everything. But with that said, there was no judgment in what was said at the end of the film where this man, you know, might have been thought as even despicable. He kind of, he crashed when his wife won the Academy Award in the film and she's up there on the stage and he like staggers up there on stage and says that he's looking for a job. I mean, you know, that's how he interrupts her speech when she wins Best Actress. And, you know, he's just thought of horribly, this character. And one of the things that the host of this program, they describe the films afterwards. This is on the network TCM. They always give an introduction and afterwards they talk about the film is the way James Mason played this character is you could always feel this decency in the character, even despite all these difficulties. And I would call that intrinsic goodness, intrinsic love, the omnipresent love that's in each and every one of us. And at the end, it is said to this other man who just thinks this guy is disgusting. You know, all he remembers is just all this awful, awful stuff. And he just thinks it's a horrible, horrible person. 
he is set straight and he is told, oh no, you never knew him. You never knew him. Because there were good things that this person did before all of this fell apart. And not every story is about falling apart. It can often be about how do we put things together. Every one of you listening has an opportunity, an opportunity to see the loving spirit in those around you, to see it in yourself. You know, it may seem cliched if you know of another song or even a film from the 70s that was big when I was little, Born Free. We are born free. We are born with childlike innocence, which I have talked about in other programs. That is not childish, although we can fall into those patterns. Childish can be selfish. It can be, you know, we're, we become more dysfunctional when we're childish. But when we are childlike, we are accentuating. We are bringing forward omnipresent love. And we can restore the strength of that love within us and within wherever we live, our societies. We can restore it. But when we are seized by a spirit of judgment and derision and hate, we lose sight of it. It doesn't make it go away. You cannot eliminate eliminate omnipresent love from anybody. It's omnipresent. God is love. God is everywhere. And I say this independent because knowing there are many people who listen to this show who are, you know, you have different spiritual paths. You're in different parts of the world. I can't even begin to know what your path is. But that love is within you. And we need to nurture that love as much as we can. It's not an easy journey. Sometimes there are a lot of people who will claim to be about love, but they're really about suppressing your free spirit, free to create. I wanted to bring another quote to this this show today, but it um, came up rather late. I saw it yesterday, actually, and I maybe next show I'll talk to you about that quote because I have several quotes that I'm going to share that really very synchronistically showed up before this episode. I was opening books to random pages, and some really amazing things happened. Um, but there was another quote, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but and that's what I will do next next program. It was basically about that that freedom is what fosters creativity. And I have spoken on this program before about how many ways of spiritually looking at the world, and even when you're not spiritual, those ways are based on freely expressing ourselves as souls. We are not puppets on a string. We were not, we didn't come here to be puppets. We didn't come here just to be controlled and dominated by like a a very um, crushing kind of a God. Even um, systems of thought that some may think, you know, the version Um, The description of God can seem that way. It still talks about free choice. And you have to really look where does love surface in these teachings because it's important. One of um, 
let's see here. I'm going to get to the books here because I really was on a roll this morning opening books. And actually, this was the last book I opened right before the show. And I, I kind of give these books an opportunity to, and I even will say, okay, here's your last chance. Is there something to be said? And I'm really speaking to the voices of the past, and we're going to talk about that too, because they will speak to us in spirit. When you open a book to a page and some voice arises, that was a real voice. That person lived. And wait till you hear one of the other quotes I opened to, which is specifically related to that. But this particular um, passage, which I will only read a small part of it, someone has died in this um, tragedy, very classic tragedy. Most of you read it, I'm sure, if you were in high school or wherever you read it. Many of you have probably studied it more than I ever did. I haven't actually read this particular play in a long time. It is a classic Greek tragedy from Sophocles. He lived approximately 496 to 7 B.C. to 406, 405 B.C. He lived to the age of 90 or 92 in the ancient world. Don't think that people all died young in the ancient world. Some people, and maybe more than we realize, lived to a, an old age by today's standards. So in this scene, in the play Antigone, which is a tragic tragedy, um, Antigone is speaking to a character after someone has died. And the one character says to Antigone, basically, once an enemy, this is a quote, I'm just kind of taking the line, I'm only going to quote a little of this, once an enemy, never a friend, not even after death. And let me tell you, I was directly um, guided to this page, although there was a bookmark in it, but I don't recall putting it there. Antigone responds, I was born to join in love, not hate. That is my nature. There you go. Straight from Sophocles and right before the program, I really do believe this bookmark was rather randomly placed. I actually opened to a different page, which is a little bit more complex, which was in Hamlet, different play. This is a very diverse book of literature, has a lot of authors. But then I ke the book kept wanting to open to this other page, and it's like, okay, fine, what's on that page? And there it was, which is exactly what I just told you. And spirit is with us. There are miracles around us every day. We just have to open ourselves up to what they have to share with us and how they want to act within our lives. And when we surrender to the miracles, they can do things that are beyond what we could even think of. That's how powerful omnipresent love is. Another quote, I'm not reading these in order of how I found them today, and I just looked up and it said 11.11 was the time left in the show, although the clock's running a little bit ahead today, I noticed. But see, another synchronicity. I had something unusual happen yesterday at 11.11, and maybe many of you see 11.11s. I just saw one. See, I have a a little clock that counts down on the screen that tells me how much time is left in the live show. And the live show I am, is typically 30 minutes, although this show typically goes much longer than that. This quote, I just grabbed a piece of this particular um, passage. It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's in his essay, Nature. Ralph Waldo Emerson was an American transcendental idealist. He lived 1803 to 1882, and it's just one sentence. Nature is made to conspire with spirit 
to emancipate us. Simple quote. Important. This will bring me to the poem that I didn't manage to get to in the last show. It's quite a beautiful segue. Thank you, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Do you realize, and we're going to read another passage that's important, these voices, these were real people who lived and are in spirit now. And yes, their voices will come to you. Open a book and see what it is that they have to say. Here's the poem that I was going to read to you last week by a lesser-known author. This is in my British literature series. Matthew Arnold lived 1822 to 1888, so he would have been a contemporary of Ralph Waldo Emerson in England. Quiet work. One lesson, nature, let me learn of thee. One lesson which in every wind is blown, one lesson of two duties kept as one. Though the loud world proclaim their enmity of toil unsevered from tranquility, of labor that in lasting fruit outgrows, far noisier schemes accomplished in repose, too great for haste, too high for rivalry. Yes, while on earth a thousand discords ring, man's fitful uproar mingling with his toil. Still do thy sleepless ministers move on, their glorious tasks in silence perfecting. Still working, blaming still our vain turmoil. Laborers that shall not fail when man is gone. I had opened to this passage before last week's program, and I never did get to share this poem, but it goes beautifully with what Ralph Waldo Emerson had to say. Let's repeat what he said. Nature is made to conspire with spirit, to emancipate us. And notice how he refers to spirit, seemingly to assume that that is a free spirit that can set us free. Every day is our independence day when we allow ourselves to be free. Fear will try to box us in. And it's not always easy. We're imperfect human beings. I'm not doing this perfectly. But our freedom is right there for us. I often see there's a picture that's on Facebook a lot. I've seen it. It's basically a bird sitting in a cage. And the cage door's open. And, um, you know, I don't have the exact quote. There's a, there's a famous song from the group The Eagles about um, how, I'll paraphrase, you know, we have the key, but we don't do anything with it. We don't know how. And that open cage says, hey, the door is open. The door is open. The symbol for this radio program that I've had for many years is an open door to the light. Let's talk a little bit about the light this morning. I open to yet another passage. This one is in the Bible. It is, let me get here, John 1, 9. It's 1, 9 through 11, and I'm not really familiar. You don't hear from 1 John all that much. Um, you hear from John. This is 1 John 1, 11, and it has to do with the light. Anyone who claims to be in the light 
but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. John. Oh, wait, it's two. I wasn't reading it properly. My my um, my version here, and I, I open it. It's First John 2. 9 through 11. Do you see? The light is love. And it may show us some things that are uncomfortable. Because for when we come to a greater understanding of things, when we listen more, when we really look at what is loving, what is compassionate, although sometimes that's not always obvious, but other times it is, we need the light to shine on what is true. We need to see clearly so we're not walking blindly. Walking blindly doesn't lead to very good places. <laughs> I mean, there is such a thing as trusting without actually seeing. That's a bit different. But walking in the darkness of hate or fear or, you know, if someone is attempting to deceive us intentionally and keep us in the dark or make us think that the cage door isn't open or, you know, maybe we aren't actually even in a cage and we're being thought, we're being made to think that we're in a cage. All of those things are of the darkness, not of the light, not of being a free spirit, are not of nurturing who we are as free spirits. Okay? And let me once again say that would say that was in second John, not first John. But I didn't know about I opened right to that. I opened to that verse. I was actually looking for something else. And it's a really interesting verse too. And I I saw it somewhere. It had to do with our our living stories. That might be for another episode, but I haven't found the right translation of that verse. So then I just open up to a page, and here's here's this verse, which is all about omnipresent love. Now, those of you listening live, I'm going to pause for a moment. I do really encourage you to listen to the rest of the program when it's in the podcast form. Because I am going to talk about yet another passage, which is quite amazing, about how we remember the best of people. In fact, let me just give you a preview. We are spending way too much time focusing on the worst, to hate in people, the worst aspects of people, perhaps the worst aspects of ourselves. But that's not how you set your spirit free towards love. Yes, you can work on those things that you need to work on to be a more loving, compassionate human being. But judging all the time, and it's judging yourself and judging other people, even like in the, in the passage by Sophocles in Antigone, judging people after death, just hating them looking only for the worst. And yes, this has to do with that scene from A Star is Born. It all works together. We do ourselves no service here. We're not going anywhere good if that's what we're doing. We're just being hateful and judgmental. That's not of love. Live listeners, um, FrontierBeyondFear.com. I'm a little behind in updating it. I'll get both shows on there. I didn't get last week's yet where you can learn more about this show and it's on blogtalkradio.com where it airs live and thank you to Blog Talk Radio again for featuring the live program on the homepage both before the program and during today. So thank you live audience. Go in peace and love. Continuing. Continuing. 
I am now going to read a more complex passage, which I couldn't, I never even know knew existed. If I'm stumbling a bit over my words today, I actually really feel this very strongly. And I tell you, it's, it's pretty jarring to go from a star's form, which is actually a really tragic and powerful and sad and poignant story right into the program, which I practically did because within an hour of the show, I watched the very end because I thought, well, I'm just going to watch the rest of this. And I had no idea, not remembering the story, that there would be some things that would actually feed right into the theme of the program. How that wonderful character, who, by the way, was pretty hard on the man who was having all these difficulties, in the end, he remembered the best of this person. And he said, you never knew him. And who was he remembering? The best, the best. Who in your life are you judging and you have totally forgotten. In fact, this happens a lot in workplaces. I'm sure you've seen, most of you have probably experienced this, or maybe not all, but where something, you know, negative happens to someone in the workplace. You know, they make some mistake or something happens, and that's all they're ever remembered for. That is such a tragedy in itself. Or maybe someone has wronged you. Have you ever really looked at that person as a whole? I mean, when you're stuck in hate and judgment and you're just focused on the mistakes, trust me, no one in this life lives a life free from mistakes. And if we are fortunate, we are growing to the end. In fact, now I wish I had kept a quote that I think I don't have handy um, I'm trying to think, gosh, who was it? It was an American author, and I hadn't seen this one before either. It might have been Benjamin Franklin, actually. I kind of was, there was a funny thing. I was looking, I thought, well, what has Benjamin Franklin said? You know, and I opened to something, I opened right to Benjamin Franklin when I thought that, by the way. And that book has a lot of authors in there, and that's what happens. That's the world of miracles. It's here, it's right at your fingertips. This one I open to a really um gosh, my let me see, I may be I may be on the not quite on the right passage that I'm thinking about. Hold on a second, let me make sure. Hope I brought that book over here. Well if I missed one, I'll have to see now Benjamin Franklin wants to open up again. Um okay, well Let's go back to this. This was, I opened to John Milton. John Milton lived between 1608 and 1674. And I may not pronounce this correctly because I didn't have a chance to look up exactly how to say this, but it is from Areopagus. Pagetica, A-R-E-O-P-A-G-I-T-I-C-A. I know I totally slaughtered that word. Um, that is, this was a speech of Mr. John Milton for the liberty of unlicensed printing to the Parliament of England. And let me remind you, he lived between 1608 and 1674. And it gives a bit of history of this. He was making this speech because the Puritans, I'm quoting from this book, just the history around this, the Puritans had put through a parliamentary statute requiring the licensing of books by a government censor in advance of publication. For about three years, the press had been free, and discussion of public questions in controversial pamphlets had been lively. This is when the printing press first appeared. This Milton considered a healthy state of affairs, but the reversion to the old censorship 
showed that the Presbyterians intended to force their views on church and state by suppressing the free press. Now, I want you, again, I turned right to this, and I think this is actually the right um, passage that I was thinking about. I got a little bit confused as to who said what, but I wasn't looking for this at all, and I'm going to find where he said this. Okay. He's saying that it's as good as almost kill a man as kill a good book. Kills a man kills a reasonable creature, God's image. But he who destroys a good book kills reason itself, kills the image of God as it were in the eye. Many a man lives a burden to the earth, but a good book is the precious lifeblood of a master spirit embalmed and treasured up on purpose to a life beyond life. Tis true, no age can restore a life whereof perhaps there is no great loss. Loss. Let's see. I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit. I don't want to read this whole thing. Basically what he's saying, okay, here it is. Here it is. Bear with me here. This is a pretty complex passage, but it's important what it has to say. We see a kind of homicide may thus be committed, sometimes a martyrdom. This is when, paraphrasing, you get rid of a book, basically. It ends up not in the slaying of an elemental life, but strikes at that ethereal and fifth essence, the breath of reason itself, slays an immortality rather than a life. So here's another quote. And I think he's quoting someone else. Seems like he's quoting... um, someone named Dionysius Alexandrinus. Read any books, whatever, come to thy hands, for thou art sufficient both to judge aright and to examine such matter. Unquote. So this gets kind of deep, but it's just so amazing that I opened to this passage because what this really has to do with is creativity and also the best in people. When I pick a person to read, do you think I study their whole life and look for the worst possible things that they did? I know these people lived in another time. I know that, you know, I have no conception of everything they did. I can guarantee that every single writer did something, certainly maybe by our own eyes, although don't assume that we're all so noble now. But there were things that we can judge and judge and judge people for. But what this has to do with is if you throw away the words of someone, and this has everything to do with the message of a star is born, because of some imperfection of that person, you have essentially killed that person there because their words live on, right? So you have basically eliminated whatever knowledge that person, good or bad, had to share with the earth. And let's be clear, are we so very fragile that we can't listen to something that, you know, oh, we wouldn't do that now, you know, or we know that's not bad. I mean, I could probably turn, I don't know if it's in this book, but for some of my studies, you know, um, what some of you may not know is for many years I've been studying um, legends, most of them are legends, um, though there may really be a real person, around Mother Shipton. And some of that has involved reading pamphlets 
from that time, which talked all about witches and burning at the stake. She was never burned at the stake, and people don't even know for sure if she actually lived. Um, but you mean to tell me you can't read something like that and say, oh, my gosh, you know, this person believed in burning witches at the stake. And, yeah, we know that's not a good thing, right? You know, that's not a really positive thing to do. Can you be discerning? Can you learn from something negative? If we were to only have in the world everything that is as pure as the driven snow, and good luck on judging what that is, but okay, fine, as close to love as we can imagine. And let's assume we have a perfect view of what unconditional love is. Although, honestly, if you're using 1 Corinthians 13, which keeps no record of wrongs, then you're already probably mixed up there. We don't know. We don't have a perfect view. We can read and learn, and we can um, aim to be the best that we can be. If we err, we can put the pieces together. We can see the good in things. We can see the best in things and see where we could take it. Where can we take those pieces and create something even more compatible with love? But don't assume that everything you think you know is actually the truth because that involves letting the light in. And you'll start to see a lot of imperfection all around. And, you know, you get high up, you know, in that throne of judgment, so to speak, and you may be throwing accusations um, one place or another, but, you know, there's another verse, which I don't have it handy, um, about the moat in your eye, basically, where you can't see clearly What's wrong in your life that maybe you need to work on, that you can do better with? That doesn't mean you have to judge yourself, but you can always aim to be more compatible with unconditional love. We're going to be in a world of hurt, and we're really kind of in it now. If we can't start honestly Honestly, honestly, and that's not so easy, shine the light on what is real, not in judgment, but to see, oh, yeah, you know, this is imperfect and that is imperfect. And, oh, I thought we were all so perfect. I guess we're not so perfect, but we're aiming for better. Oh, we're supposed to love one another. We're not supposed to hate. Don't you think that that's isolated somewhere? You know, in judgment, we will say, oh, look at those haters over there. Well, what if, you better look in your own heart, too, because it's really easy to hate right now, and there's a lot of hate to go around, and I'm not going to take part in that. Let me be clear. We need to find our way to love. We need to listen to one another the other passage I was going to read, oh, now I remember. I, didn't, I wasn't quite sure about this one. This one was actually from James Madison, and I did not quite open to it, but close. I was kind of leafing through a book, and I'm not sure I have it. But it was similar, actually, to what John Milton had to say. And it had to do with listening to many voices that it basically had to do with, and this does really prove itself true in history is it doesn't actually work to just um, to just suppress a voice you have to listen and work together and listen and talk and discuss it doesn't really work and this particular passage was actually on why um, minority opinions like within government have value and you know you got to be really careful with that by the way if you're no matter what side you're on because as soon 
as you get rid of that, you may need it. <laughs> I mean, we all really need it. Um, it had to do with how it's important, and this is true in science too. You need to listen to voices that may not be in the majority because certainly in science, those are the ones who make incredible discoveries and push science out of a paradigm and push it forward. And so if we're only listening to the chorus and you don't listen to that person who raises their hand and says, um, excuse me, um, what about this? And then all of a sudden a new paradigm is born. I I don't know why I can't speak today. I'm just too too passionate. I do have some passion today. Um, a new paradigm is born. It doesn't mean we just, you know, um, and be careful because it happens far too often and in places where, you know, um, too many places, it doesn't mean we just, you know, wallow in darkness. I mean, we don't have to spend all our time in some hateful place or something that just feels um, atrocious to us. I mean, like if we were surrounded by people who um, still, if we lived in the age of still burning witches, you know, um, we don't have to focus on that. You know, maybe we can help one another a bit. You know, we grew out of that phase. And some people think we're going back to that, but I really don't think so. I really don't think so. I um, happen, sometimes I'll just sort of turn on the radio to different things, and I hear all kinds of different voices at times that way. And the other morning, in fact, it may have even been yesterday, I just happened to hear, and this was on a really obscure station and I believe this person is actually a libertarian. And he he's very conservative. I've heard him before at times. Not too much, but a little bit. And I had no idea that he would say this. I found it very interesting. Is He basically said to his conservative friends, because he was a conservative, he said, um, you know, do you ever try to talk? This is, I'm paraphrasing this host. He would be amazed that I'm even saying this on this show. Do you ever try to talk to your neighbors, to your liberal neighbors, to really get to know them? Maybe you'll find out that you're not such bad people and that you really can have a discussion. This is where we need to go. And I kind of wish I did have James Madison's, gosh, do I have that book? Maybe I do have it. Oh, my gosh, it's open to the book. <laughs> I didn't even open it to you. Remember when I was looking for stuff? James Madison apparently wants to be heard because I didn't even open to this page, and it's totally open to this essay that he wrote, and it was about, the title was about majority rule, freedom for minorities, and it was to the people of the state of, of New York. It was addressed to them, and I don't know, do I have an exact date on this thing? I'm not seeing in this book. I think I can kind of tell you, and I don't. I don't have his exact. Okay, so this was um, this is going to be approximately. It's in the 1800s, so somewhat early. Well, is it? No, maybe not. Ah, no, it's much earlier. Of course. Okay, this is from. These are um, essays from the Federalists, written between 1787 and 1788, but. He basically talks about, and I'm just jumping in here. All right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna trust. Usually, I try to to kind of screen these, but you know what? I'm gonna trust this because I just opened to it. So let's just read some of this. 
Among the numerous advantages promised by a well-constructed union, none deserves to be more accurately developed than its tendency to break and control the violence of faction. The friend of popular governments never finds himself so much alarmed for their character and fate as when he contemplates their propensity to dangerous vice. He will not fail, therefore, to set a due value on any plan which, without violating the principles to which he is attacked, provides a proper cure, debility, injustice, and confusion introduced into public councils have in truth been the mortal diseases under which popular governments have everywhere perished. And they continue to be the favorite and fruitful topics from which the adversaries to liberty derive their most specious declamations. So, what he is trying to say here, let's be clear, is you have to work in the system to talk with one another. And then something very destructive won't happen, is what he's saying. So he's not advocating for something destructive. He is saying that we have to work with one another, and you have to talk with one another. And just like, you know, I heard that person on the radio say yesterday, you have to not assume, you know, you have to let go of hatred. And that's true all the way around. And I would say also, let go of assumptions. And, you know, you also, if I might say, and actually this kind of comes up in this, in this particular essay, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, is, you know, the shoe could be on the other foot if you start limiting the voice of someone not in the majority. Because before you know it, you're not in the majority, and then what? You know, do you really think ahead about that? And that's true no matter what, quote, side you're on, is you have to work with one another. It's really important. You need to try to understand one another. And, of course, you know, we don't want to end up, I mean, in this program we were talking last time about Immaculate Ilipajiza, how she lived in Rwanda, and the, you know it just um, it was a disaster. You know everybody hated and were killing one another. I mean, look at the civil war in this country. You don't want that. That leads to really, really awful, awful conflict. And yes, you can find another way to bring forward good to bring forth the best in us. If we elevate ourselves compatible with unconditional love, we will bring forth the best in us. Of course everyone should be free. And we can still focus on that. It's unfortunate when things devolve into just utter destruction. And we need to have that goal to find another way. You know, years ago I used to have in my yard a sign, war is not the answer. And I was even going to a Quaker church for a little bit, and I really admired the Quakers. And they are still at work. In fact, the people who create that sign... And let's even look at it independent of any particular political view. Um, The goal is you look for ways to find solutions that are at the highest level. Let's just be clear. You don't um, tolerate things that are, you know, enslaving people. In fact, if you look at the Civil War, I mean, clearly there were people who were enslaved, and that did result in freeing the slaves, but it was fought over, you know, a number 
of things. And that has been a very divisive issue in the country and was, you know, when it was born. You always had people who were against slavery. In fact, we read from Ralph Waldo Emerson, the transcendentalists were very against slavery. If you see uh, little women, for example, even just in movie form, you can see how that family portrayed in Little Women, um, they are against slavery. And they talk about it in just about every version of that movie. And reading the book is great, too, and I'm sure many of you have read it. And so, of course, that's wrong. It's been wrong since the beginning of mankind. And it's happened far too many times. And wouldn't it be nice if on this beautiful land, you know, we could live in harmony instead of, you know, we've lost an entire culture, in fact, throughout the lands of the United States. But, you know, they were following on those same dark impulses, which had been happening for centuries, subjugation, taking over. That's what had been happening. And truthfully, greed, that too. We can look for the best in ourselves. We can reach out to our neighbors. I've talked about building bridges. I've been doing it a long time. And I'm not so easy to define, by the way. I believe in love and truth. I want to see the light shine. Love is paramount to me. Unconditional love. But be careful, because when you shine the light on some issues of the day, you have to see them in reality, not some spin, not some, you know, in the old days they wrote pamphlets, You know, there are plenty of ways to only provide partial information or, you know, just change what is true. That's not useful to the light or to love or to the future. The future requires looking at things honestly and bringing forth the best in ourselves and in everyone around us. That will not be perfect. We work on that. But we cannot become dishonest in that process. And oh, that path of authenticity, it's not so easy. I do it a step at a time. We all do. It's not easy. And it's almost impossible to reveal your full authentic self to anyone, really. If you have someone in your life that you can do that with, that is great. Because many people can't. But at least be honest with yourself. That's where it starts. Who are you? You are a free spirit. And you are being drawn, not compelled to omnipresent love because you cannot be apart from what that is. There are things happening in the world, and yes, recognizing once again that many of you are not in the United States. And I do know from the map, I do have listeners, for example, in Poland. And I know there is a lot going on right now and it's changing daily it seems and yes there is jeopardy and I don't know what the answer is going to be but whatever it is it will be empowering to people it will value people it will value the past in terms of what was the best. And when we look at the worst, and that's true in the current day as well, we can't be afraid of looking at the shadow. I don't spend that much time with the shadow. Look, I hadn't even wanted to watch A Star is Born because I just felt, 
you know, it was going to be really sad and, or I wasn't really sure. It had been a really long time. I just knew it ended, you know, badly. Well, you know what? It doesn't end badly. It ends poignantly. In fact, at the very end, um, everybody's in a standing ovation for this man who's died because of his wife, who, you know, at the Academy Awards, Judy Garland plays this part. Um, he had literally slapped her. It was kind of accidental, but it didn't really come. I mean, he was drunk. I mean, it wasn't great, whatever it was, at the Academy Awards in this film. And here later at the end, and she's just grieving terribly, um, she's given a um, talk by her dear friend about how he wanted her to be the best, essentially the best in herself. And she was ready to just, you know, seem to be um, withdrawing into what would have become a depressive state. And she brings herself out, and they find themselves applauding this man who lived despite many dark things that happened. They saw the best of this person. We have to love the best in one another. We have to do our best to help one another towards love. You know, you help one another towards love when you reach out to someone, where you build a bridge like that guy on the radio was doing. He wants to meet you. <laughs> he lives in a small town somewhere, or I'm not sure where he is, but he's in a pretty rural place. And he really is encouraging people to meet one another, to know. I used to, for many, many years, work on a festival, and eventually I um, had the opportunity to coordinate this. It was a nonprofit, so we had a board, but I was president of it for a while. And before that, was very much involved. Everybody worked together on this thing. They were from multiple persuasions. They're working together on it now. And you tend to see the person then before you see the judgment. We need to work towards this. I'm not saying it's easy. We may already be in really dire straits. And clearly, yeah, we do have war in the world right now. I don't know the answer. I'm not claiming to know. That is very complicated. But we can keep working towards love. That is our free spirit. We are free. Happy Independence Day. Take care, everyone.